everyone, welcome back to the Just Interesting People podcast. My name is Rosie and I'm here with my co-host and husband Jeremy as usual. And today we are talking to Matthew. Matt is a professional athlete who plays for the USA Beach Handball team and is also a holistic coach. Matt talks to us about the different phases he went through his life. In his teenage years, he played a ton of sport at a high level. In his 20s, he coached professional athletes and high performers and even created his own school, which eventually led to a burnout. Now in his early 30s, he lives a more balanced, holistic life and helps others reach the potential and live a healthier lifestyle. Hi Matthew, welcome to the podcast. I am so excited to learn more about you. Thank you so much for being here and welcome. Yes, thank you for having me. I'm excited to answer whatever questions you guys come up with. (laughs) (laughs) Be careful what you wish for. No, yeah, thank you so much for joining us today. I really appreciate you taking the time. We connected a couple of months ago through a mutual friend, Alvi. We were just talking about him. He was actually guest number one on the podcast, so our audience know him very well. And yeah, we connected. I've been your website that you launched yesterday. <laughs> so we can, we can talk about that. But uh, throughout this process of creating the website, and also actually I listen to one of your episodes last year, I think it was, with Ali on his podcast. So I already knew a little bit about you at this point. But yeah, I've discovered that you are, among many things, an amazing athlete, a sports junkie. We're going to dive into it. You, you've been building an amazing career. And yeah, uh, I, I think your story has a lot of value for other people to get inspired by, you know, so we're going to dive into it. Awesome. Well, thank you for that sentiment. And um, yeah, I hope that I can provide some value for the listeners. Also, I I really appreciate you (laughs) thinking that highly of me, at least to get me onto the podcast. We'll see. We'll judge after I answer these questions, you know. (laughs) Everybody's interesting. Everybody has a story to tell. So, yeah. yeah. Indeed. So you're from Cincinnati, Ohio, right? Yeah, that is where I spent years 6 through 18. And from what I've got to know about you is throughout your entire childhood and adulthood as well, sports has been a pillar in your life, right? Absolutely. Um, I grew up playing kind of the traditional Midwestern American sports, being baseball, basketball, and American football. And, you know, as a child, I kind of had the blinders on to the fact that there were other sports. You know, I was aware of like NHL and, you know, like NASCAR and like racing and I guess golf were kind of things also. But, um, you know, there's other sports in the world that are quite spectacular and all have, you know, magical powers that we can certainly dive into. Um, Yeah. So, yeah, because yeah, it, it, it is interesting how the U.S. has to be doing it its own way and the American sports or so the top three, like you said, <laughs> baseball, basketball and, and football, American football. And yeah, everything else is <laughs> non-existent in most of the states, which is a very interesting dynamic. Uh, my first question would be like, how did you get this love, this passion, this addiction, maybe for sports? I would say um, it was kind of a forced thing. 
Uh, my parents, you know, both grew up as athletes. My mom played college volleyball herself. Oh. Uh, my dad, I think, attempted college baseball, um, but suffered an injury and uh, called it quits. But he was a pretty high-level athlete in high school, and I know for them, their childhood was, you know, very much revolved around being an athlete. Um, and so that was that was really the start, I think, kind of similar to probably how most children get involved in anything, like their parents kind of put them into things and expect them to love it. Um, and so, yeah, like I don't say forced necessarily with a, you know, a negative connotation. Mm-hmm. Um, it was it was just kind of what it was. And I I did love all of the aspects of being on teams and traveling around and, you know, really like at the root of sports is that competitive, you know, kind of desire that I think every person really has rooted inside of them. And there's an art form to, you know, really being able to understand what it means to compete. And then also, and, and, you know, like I always kind of grow branches off these answers. Um, but that that's the simple short answer to your first question is really yeah. my parents and they were my dad coached me in most of my sports and mm. he was really tough. He was a really competitive guy. Um, I could remember like in a baseball game, I could have had a really good game. I could have maybe went like three or four at the plate. And that one time that I struck out, uh, I'm getting a, a mouthful in the car ride home about that. Um <laughs> So, you know, a lot of those values certainly still live inside of me, but they've evolved quite a bit over time, you know, getting out and about and meeting people from all over the place. So what kind of kid, teenager were you personality-wise? Like the outgoing, let's do this one, the shy one, what kind of guy were you at this time? Yeah, I was a troublemaker. Um (laughs) <laughs> my and it, and I think all these answers kind of go back to like me doing a lot of work and one could call it therapy like understanding you know where I come from mm. and where my parents came from mm. and even you know taking it a step farther back than that and my parents both grew up in you know some I don't want to throw around the word like abusive but just like tough tough households where both of their fathers were you know really hard on them um and so i think my parents did the best that they could but a lot of that you know kind of lived through them also and i don't think they were as tough as on me as their parents were on them Mm -hmm. but a lot of that uh kind of turned me into or kind of like i rebelled i got yelled at and got in trouble and that would just make me want to break more rules so i would you know like do things to go against the grain because there was a so many strict kind of boundaries that were put in place that i couldn't quite understand and there was never really a two-way communication Mm -hmm. and even at a younger age i remember thinking like well, why can't we at least talk about this? Why do you guys just get to make the rules? Um, You know, I always thought that there could be like a two-way street there. 
And so if there wasn't, then I would just sneak out of the house and, you know, cause chaos in the neighborhood. Um, and so, you know, I learned a lot of hard lessons as a, an adolescent and as a teenager um, that ended up all really catching up with me in my, you know, later years into my 20s. And I'm 33 now and a lot of that stuff, I'm still like just kind of uprooting and, you know, being able to utilize some of those lessons uh, in my I'm now an adult. Like I qualified myself as an adult like two years ago. So, yeah. It's funny, isn't it? When you get to a certain age, you're like, technically I'm an adult, but I still feel like a kid. Like I remember through the 20s, you're like, how am I paying bills and doing this adult stuff on my own without supervision? Yeah, that's such a funny sentiment. And I can, I align with that deeply. It's like when I was in my 20s, I was making it work however I could, you know, making enough money to get by, pay my rent and, you know, the things that I needed to pay for. But looking back on it now, I did not have like real adult behaviors when it Mm. came to a lot of things. And a lot of that was rooted in how I acted as a child. Mm. And for a while, I also carried this kind of resentment for, you know, these things that happened in my childhood. And I've gotten to the place now within these past couple years of really like a deep forgiveness. I was holding this grudge against, you know, kind of my parents and they were doing the best that they could. Mm. And, you know, that's that's something that I know and have accepted. And so, yeah, I think I think to your point, Rosie, I, I think it's really cool to keep a childlike sense of wonder. Like if you ask some of my current teammates, you know, how I am, like when I'm playing sport, it still is me being like a kid running around on the beach. And I think that that's important. Um, But when it comes to communicating and, you know, handling responsibilities and priorities, that's where, you know, having adult skills, it takes time and it takes practice. So, Mm. yeah. (laughs) There is, we, we were discussing that recently with Rosie as well. When, you know, when you're young, when you're becoming technically an adult, uh, you have this vision of, oh, people in the thirties, they have all those things figured out. And people in the forties, they are like old. this, I don't know, like old <laughs> and, and they are this way and whatever. <laughs> and then you get to this point and you're like, well, actually I don't feel more wise than I was five years ago. Maybe, you know, I'm still figuring it out and then there is a point where also you realize that your parents are just human being figuring life out like they don't have any special textbook or recipe book or whatever to tell them what to do and they are going through whatever you are going through as well in your life and when that hits when they are like just human beings it's like oh a lot of things make sense i feel and i think also a lot of forgiveness happens because you kind of think well like you said, like they're, they're doing their best and they're just trying to figure out life as well. And I think that's when you can sort of start to forgive, okay, maybe they did that because they didn't quite know how else to handle it. Yeah. And yeah. Yeah, absolutely. But I love what both of you guys said. And what came up for me as you guys were both speaking is I use this Carl Jung quote quite a bit because when I first heard it a few years ago, it really resonated with me. Um, he said, all children 
are tasked with the unfinished business of their parents. <laughs> and it like takes a bit to kind of chew on it and like really let it resonate. Um, but to your point, Jeremy, I think it's funny sometimes when I'm out and about and I'm meeting people and I'm meeting somebody who could be, you know, in their 50s or 60s and we get into a conversation and it's like, sure, it's an adult level of communication, but there's times where maybe like an emotion comes up and that person may have not like really worked on being emotionally intelligent in that specific category. So it like brings up these old feelings and then like, I don't know, you guys have probably experienced this too, where it's like, you might be talking to a 65 year old, but you feel like you're talking to a child and it's like a really interesting concept. Um, so yeah, I love talking about these things. Yeah, or even when you when you talk, maybe to go back to that, to your parents, and you feel you're the adult, <laughs> you're like teaching them. Something, yeah, and it's like, oh, I'm weird. <laughs> I'm glad you said that. I'm glad you said that because you know, and hopefully my my mom and dad listen to this <laughs> um, because we have had like so many deep conversations. Jeremy, I don't know if you recall, but like on the testimonials page, both my mom and my dad gave a testimonial because I was adamant last year that not that I like have the answers for my parents, right? Like I think that I have learned some things from a nutritional and all kinds of other standpoints that can benefit people. Mm -hmm. And so I desired and intended to give them as much information as possible. And if they were, you know, going to choose to use it, that was going to be on them. But to your question, Yes, I absolutely sometimes feel like that. And I like and that's okay. Like I I used to get mad and kind of like match that childlike, you know, emotion. Mm. But in all reality, it's it's like a an ultimate form of being open to, you know, who they are, the fact that they're literally only speaking from their experience. Like their perspective on the given subject is from their experience and their experience alone. And sometimes for like for most people in most cases, it's limited to that. And I don't say that with a negative connotation, oh, yeah. mm -hmm. but that's just what it is. And so, yes, like there was a conversation that, you know, I was having with my my mom and I, I came to my wife after and I said, like, Wow. And mom, if you're listening to this, like we can talk through this, of course, like, and we did, we did have a beautiful dialogue around it. But I came to Kristen and I said, there was like a moment where I felt like I was kind of like the adult and my mom was the child for a second. And then we like figured out, you know, how to get on the same page. And mm -hmm. I think that there's a, like a super masterful skill to be had in recognizing that and not attaching emotions to it and getting angry about it it's like okay like this is just how this person my mom for this example you know views this and that's okay mm -hmm. like i accept that and we can talk through it and kind of find like the root like the commonality that we do have and base it off that it's okay to like disagree or have a different viewpoint but there's always going to be some commonalities that we can use to work through a conversation. So, but I think what, what you said, I think the key element in that, and what I, I personally find very complicated when, when you have this kind of conversation with 
a friend or someone you're less attached to and, and a family member is keeping the emotional side of it out of it so you don't get attached to the result or you don't get stuck in the expectation because it's your family member and you want them to get your point or whatever when you know if it's a stranger or someone else you, you just don't mind you don't i don't know use your advice to do whatever you want them to do or whatever like you're not attached to it when when it's someone that you deeply and love you're going to be attached to the result and i think finding the perspective to detach yourself from that it's really hard. I feel like we, we talked about it with Alvi as well, as well about coaching people that you love, family members. It's extremely, extremely hard, I feel, because you have this natural attachment. Yeah, I, I hear you 100%. And it certainly does present its own set of unique challenges. Yeah. Um, and, I, and I do agree. I think it's very important to detach from the results. I think naturally people tend to project what they see for somebody else and again that's only based on your perception through your experience yeah. so it's really key to to listen to that other person and hear them out and if you disagree like you said jeremy like not letting the emotions come up of that disagreement like no you're wrong like mm. people tend to want to prove themselves right <laughs> but why you know like you don't have to yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> so to go back to to your life story, when you were like a teenager, adolescent, becoming a young adult, uh, what was your interest in terms of pursuing education and career later? Yeah. Um, so when I was graduating high school in 2007, I was presented an opportunity to be a trainer and work with a pretty high level company and this was essentially a trade-off for me being able to train at that place as an athlete because i was preparing to go play at the university level american football mm -hmm. and so my interest wasn't so to speak um like i never thought that i would live a life that didn't have sports in it I wasn't going to to college um, to like necessarily pursue uh, something, you know, that was outside of the realm of like sports administration or sports performance right. or, you know, mm -hmm. kinesiology or things of that nature. Um, and, you know, to to like reflect back is really cool. I really appreciate this question because so much changed when I actually got to college like I grew up in a predominantly Caucasian suburb <laughs> where I'll, I'll throw this like short story in um, my senior year I had a friend move in that happened to be an African-American and he was I think there was two non-Caucasians on our football team oh. mm. and at our high school maybe there was like like four percent of non-caucasians mm -hmm. and so he changed my life like he opened up my whole mind and you know towards the end of high school i started to kind of like 
push away from all of the thoughts and like patterns and habits that I had in terms of like kind of being a little bit racist, like without wanting to be or knowing that I was, it was just like what I knew and kind of what I grew up around, you know, not just with like my family, but with the community and suburb that I grew up in. Mm -hmm. And so to circle back, when I got to college, my education came like there were some courses like I really loved like anthropology classes and sociology and I really loved like learning that side of things but my education really came from making friends and relationships with people that were from places that were essentially like polar opposite of where I grew up right like I almost got to this place as ignorant as this may sound where I was like I don't really want to have white people friends. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was it was kind of this interesting thing. So I made friends with a bunch of like African-American dudes from the South, from like Florida and Georgia and all over the place. And, you know, the <laughs> the like role that I took was being and learning how to be kind of the minority it, to an extent where I would inject myself into their lives and I would go to parties and stuff and I'd be the only white person there. (laughs) Or I'd go to like Thanksgivings or holidays with my friends, families and be the the token white guy. Um, (laughs) And so there was so many like invaluable lessons that I took away from, you know, just like being open to learning. And in those years, it was a bit ignorant, but as I've grown older, I've come to realize like like you guys have a podcast called just interesting people and i i'm so aligned with like the fact that you're right everybody is interesting everybody has a story and everybody gets to to share that like i love hearing everybody's story Mm -hmm. and so to really like get back to your question jeremy like my education came through people through like kind of culturizing myself I still don't have a bachelor's degree. I transferred colleges six times. Um, And like a lot of that was like going from playing football to basketball, back to football, getting hurt, taking a year off and then playing one more year of football. Um, And, you know, coming out of that, it allowed me to propel myself right into a career being a coach because I was so used to meeting and communicating with people from all over the globe. Mm -hmm. And that really served me being in positions of leadership, like right off the bat as a 22, 23 year old, when I finished up college, like I was offered coaching positions all over the place um, because it just kind of like was natural for me to like mesh situations and synergize people from different places. So long answer to a simple question, but <laughs> no, yeah. I love the long answers. Yeah. And I can relate Great. a thousand percent to your experience in terms of living in a bubble with a certain view of the world. And like you said, it's no one's fault, but because of the way 
your environment was operating at the time, you grew up with some misconception about, like you said, like you grew up with, and, and I was the same. So I, I grew up being told that people of color, people of different religion, people with different sexual orientation were all bad people and you should not hang out with them and don't bring them home and all those narratives. And, and that was the same in my house, my village, my like county stuff like that so uh and then you get out of this bubble like you said <laughs> and suddenly you meet other people it's like well actually you, you start to question things you, you start to question your your belief and and a whole new world appears and and then you end up with amazing friends from all over the place <laughs> that's right that's right and yeah like as you say that what what quickly came up is like there's just so much beauty in finding the simple commonalities mm. that connect us all, that unify us all. Like I talked about this a little bit on my podcast last night, my first episode. And like those are those are the most interesting things to talk about in my eyes. Like, of course, we're going to have disagreements. We're not going to see eye to eye on everything. Yeah. But it's really fun to like understand, hey, I can actually sit with pretty much anybody and find that we have more in common than yeah. what like a photo of us next to each other might look like yeah. so yeah i i love that no oh, yeah and 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 again and, and you mentioned it is it's also important to say that it's no one's fault most of the time and it's it's more a matter of ignorance and education and i think this this mm -hmm. is the way you can solve those those issues the the easy way is just by educating people and putting them having those conversation you realize that actually yeah we all we all the same in a way absolutely mm. now now we're going into some rabbit holes <laughs> <laughs> no but it's funny to think about it like you know when you reflect in your life and and it's like and like when i was like 18 years old you would have to tell me when you're gonna be 34 like some of your best friends are gonna be like Alvi, who's like an African-American, you're going to be friends with Carlos, who's, you know, uh, gay. You're going to be, it, you're going to be working like uh, as a business partner with some people from the LGBTQIA community. I would have said like, no freaking way. Like, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I can say the same this, thing. Like, <laughs> yeah, my 13 year old self would be so mad at how my life turned out like he would be so mad it's really funny to think about that i'm glad you i'm glad you painted that perspective because like i've gone to you know pride out here in la for the past like six years i've got so many friends in the in the lgb i never get the acronym right but that community i love that community um like i've been to you know Islamic temples in gotten down on my hands and knees and and washed up before going in and and like I grew up a Catholic and you know I've gone to all different like types of things um have friends from all over the place have friends from Nigeria and like I have a teammate from the Ivory Coast uh Cote d'Ivoire and speaks three languages and it's funny to think like how amazing like evolution and just being open to evolving yeah. like where that has taken all of us like how cool is it to be sitting here having this conversation like i don't even know exactly where you guys are in the world right now <laughs> <Where are you laughs> I, haven't, 
<laughs> okay, got you. I had it. I had a general idea, but yeah, yeah, yeah. that's that's amazing. <laughs> yeah. So again, like you, so you graduated high school, and throughout your college years, uh, so you moved around the law. But again, sports was a central part of your life. Uh, it's also interesting that it seems like you couldn't pick one sport. You had to do all of them, right? <laughs> I feel. Yeah, um, that is an interesting question. It's fun to look back and kind of assess this because ultimately, I think not being able to choose a sport was kind of a microcosm of the macrocosm that was me not really having any idea who I was as a person. Mm. Like I was essentially just flying around, you know, not really making decisions based on like honoring me or what my values really were. I was just figuring it out. I was navigating the world freely, true nomad, but without even having the understanding of like what that really meant. I was just living it and making wild decisions and choices that were far from optimal most of the time. Yeah. <laughs> um, but in in going through those years, it's like now I get to use all of those experiences to really like drive in my values and my mission now. And it's like now when I get to make choices, um, it tends to be pretty easy to make optimal choices because like I made a lot of mistakes and I mm -hmm. found myself in a lot of like rough places individually. Um, and so, yeah, like that's the, the simple answer to your question. And this has been, you know, three, four five years of like actually therapizing myself and figuring these types of things out to be able to have you know, this like casual podcast conversation yeah. about it, you know? Mm. Oh, yeah. At, at any point, did you have the goal and the ambition to be like a professional athlete? Like this is going to be my career. Yeah, I think that was always the thing. Like that was always kind of the light at the end of the tunnel that I saw that really like subconsciously kind of kept me going and consciously kept me going. I had, I have a childhood friend, his name is Nate Ebner, and he ended up uh, making the NFL um, in 2012, I think was his rookie year. And that was like right around the time that I was finishing up also. And then my other friend who I shared with you guys earlier, played with the Patriots, um, as well and I played high school football with him and growing up like in the community I was in a lot of the parents and, and dads would say things such as like you're white you're not going to be a pro athlete like that would that would literally be the things that we would get and I come from a pretty good line of like genetics where like I'm yeah. pretty like naturally gifted um, but I had to kind of fight through a lot of a lot of those like limited beliefs. Um, and then when I saw, you know, some of my childhood friends excelling, it's like, wait a minute, like I actually if I wasn't such a bozo and didn't, you know, like party so hard and, you know, like do all those things, then maybe I wouldn't have gotten hurt so much and, and this and that. Um, 
And so, yeah, I think that always did kind of drive me. And then from years 2012 to, you know, all through my career, through my 20s, I was able to ascend in the sports performance kind of field and in the coaching world and be around a lot of very high level collegiate and professional athletes. And we would, you know, play pickup games of basketball or throw the football around or, you know, do workouts and things like that. And I would look at these guys and get to know them and be like, there was always like this thought in my mind, like, wait, I, I'm a pro athlete. Like I'm as talented and as skilled or more skilled and talented than so many of these people. Mm. And this is a cool point to bring this to because I had a conversation with one of my close friends a couple weeks ago and he's been a pro athlete by contract in multiple countries. He's traveled to Australia, to Spain, and he's a basketball player. And one of the realizations that I've come to in the past three years since I've been involved with my current sport um, is that there's a lot of guys or women that are getting paid to play in professional leagues. So, you know, by trade, they might be called a pro athlete. But in my eyes, how I define a pro athlete is by first being a professional human being. Like I think you can be an athlete that's on contract that's in the NFL or in the NBA or in the EuroLeague, but if they're not actually tending to all of the areas of their life, then it's likely they're not going to get another contract. You see that a lot, at least over here in these popular American sports, they'll get one contract, they blow it on like a chain or a a car or, or dumb shit, get a, a too big of a house and not necessarily, you know, make sure that they're taking care of them. their simple things, nutrition and hydration and sleep and, you know, the things that they're consuming and inputting from a thought standpoint, let alone the bigger topics of like taking care of your emotional intelligence and, you know, developing like a sense of spirituality that actually can, you know, connects so much about your life so yeah to get to your to like really sum up my answer to your question yes and it's been a beautiful evolution of thinking oh i have like just the physical skills and the physical talents to be able to have a contract it wasn't until i had the breakdown to then break through and started building these lifestyle skills that i was then presented an opportunity to be a Team USA athlete, which oh. I might, I'm lucky if I get my trips paid for and like our accommodations, but I'm not a paid pro athlete, yeah. but I'm a pro athlete because I consider myself a professional human being. I love that answer, by the way. Thank <laughs> you so much. Like a Thank you. professional person. <laughs> yeah. It's yeah. interesting. So what I, un what I understand is you would, you had the you had the skills and and also you you mentioned like the the dna also in a way to you had the mm -hmm. the sports skills to compete at a high level you had the motivation you you were working hard and stuff like that but you were lacking skills around like surrounding those areas like the sleep the recovery the nutrition stuff like that and and you think those 
skills that you were missing or the reason that you didn't become at 20 years old a professional football player or basketball players or whatever you think is that's the reason that's the actualization that and the story that i now tell myself mm. because and i and i think everybody gets to write their own story everybody you know has their own experiences and for me what i'm extraordinarily grateful for is that it did happen like this because and yes like to answer your question short yes absolutely and what's so beautiful about me getting to go through all of that in my 20s is that not only do i get to apply that to my own life but i get to apply it to people that i coach and see how that you know impacts their whole life like mm -hmm. these are holistic skills we think about the wheel of life and the or the spokes on a bicycle and if one spokes out then the wheel's broken so um and then you know also i'm i'm so fortunate that i i do have now this like well-rounded like repertoire of skills that my coach on team usa trusts me to essentially be i'm like the team shaman he asked me to lead the meditations before our camps and games and practices and things and um like what an honor that is for me it's it's incredible that um like rather than him asking me to like train everybody physically like he trusts me to connect us in a spiritual sense and connect our emotions together and make sure that you know we don't become our emotions is something that i like to say a lot mm. um and so Yes, Jeremy, 100%. And for a while, I was angry. In my 20s, I would get angry because I would see people that I would view as somebody who wasn't as physically talented as me. Like, I have a rubber arm, bro. I can throw a ball, like, so far and so hard. Yeah. It's weird. It's a weird, like, skill to just be born with. Um, and, like, as far pretty much as any NFL quarterback or farther... And I don't say that to be like, oh, gosh, check out yeah. Matt Komen's right arm. You know, like, I don't care. It doesn't even matter to me. But for a while, that would create these, like, damn, like, I can I can do this as good as anybody. Why don't I have a chance? Yeah. But that wasn't the outlook that was ever going to serve me. You know, that was more ego and, like, mind-driven rather than being actually, like, connected to, you know, my whole body and my whole soul. So... Yeah, bro. We, but I think we, we, all ha we all have those conversation. It, it doesn't have to be about sport, but we all have something in life where we look at someone else and it's like, this person is not better than I am. I, I can do better in this specific thing. So why am I not at the same level? Like we all have, I think, at some point this conversation. It, it can be about anything, about mm. the physical stuff, about job, about parenting about just being a human being about money whatever we all have that and and yeah like, like you said it's all about this chatter with the ego and and accepting that maybe stop comparing yourself to this other one and you because also you don't know what's going on in their life maybe yes yeah, he, 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 he made it according to instagram you know when you look at it but you don't know what's going on is in his household you know and stuff like that mm -hmm. so um yeah i think we can all relate to that it's, an, it's it's not a specific problem about being an athlete i think 
Yeah, I love that. And that is such a, a great way to like round out what I'm saying because I can, you know, I can share anecdotes and experiences that have nothing to do with sport, but mm. are very much like rooted in the same type of like ego driven mindset. And that's where like the, the beauty of being able to like channel your competitive spirit and like use your ego to to help you. Like it's okay to look at like I'll use my podcast for example. I've been telling myself for two years, like I listen to so many people's podcasts. I'm like, I can be there, I can get there, why aren't I there? There's like a a, a bit of that. Mm-hmm. And in all reality, like it's a new skill that I didn't have. And so you get to start from ground zero. It's just like I did a few years ago with, you know, other skills that I did not have in terms of like communicating, uh, not becoming my emotions all the time, you know, actually developing like a real sense of what spirituality means to me and how to utilize that. You start from the beginning, kind of implement some things into your practice, see if they work. And then if they work, then you keep doing them and then it becomes a skill and then it is added into your lifestyle and then you're a little bit more whole Mm. at the end of the day. So I want to ask you about your coaching because you kind of mentioned that you coach people. Now, do you coach individual athletes or were you coaching or are you coaching like groups of people for teams? I don't really know what you do in, in terms of that. Yeah, so I'll start in answering that and give like a quick overview of how my 20s went mm-hmm. and then kind of be able to share how that's evolved to now. So in my 20s, I started off as a college football coach and I was the strength and conditioning coach. I was helping with recruiting. I was coaching like quarterbacks and wide receivers. And from there, I also started my own company on the side where I got contracts to work with several of like the local high schools. And I would be doing similar things with like strength and conditioning and kind of in the performance side. Mm -hmm. And even, even back through all of those years, I would also take on like, small groups, sometimes individuals, sometimes families. And I loaded up my schedule insanely um, to where like I ran myself out of adrenaline by the time I was in my late 20s, literally. Like adrenal fatigue became a real thing and I thought I was gonna like literally die in Mm. the facility that I was in um, because my heart was beating out of my chest and my dumbass drove myself to the hospital and they're like, you drove here like you're not in good condition at all um and so that was kind of like how my 20s went um and what was one thing like there was one thing in my 20s and how i coached people where before damn near every session that i ever ran whether it was with a team a family a small group or an individual We always started off with a visualization period Mm -hmm. and like some breath work in there and like basically eyes closed. Let's use our minds to visualize different things, whether it was things that were happening in their life or about to happen in that workout or in that practice or whatever it was. It varied. But and I, I, I was doing that based on feel, not based on like something that I learned in a textbook or 
learn from anybody else really um I would get feedback from people and they always would say like, I love the visualization today. Mm. Um, and then come to find out later on, like in my later 20s, like, like really we're, we're just meditating. Uh, we're, we're just like connecting our, our minds to our bodies. And like then eventually that evolved into like we're connecting our full mind, body and spirit. And so now um, I still... I actually this year um, got back involved with a high school because I had taken a few years and not done that. Mm -hmm. um, there was a, a period where I actually, I'll circle back a little bit more, I digress. So I, I coached like a madman for all those years, ended up like getting up into um, the higher realms of the sports performance world out here in Los Angeles where... I worked with uh, Kobe Bryant's company, um, which was cool. Like, you know, it was cool on Instagram and cool on paper. But I, I almost killed myself in that company. Like, I was working way too hard, way too much. Um, there was a lot of good that came out of it, a lot of great relationships and experience. Um, but there was a huge, that huge kind of takeaway and realization of, like, I'm not doing anything for myself. I'm doing, I'm serving everybody else and not me. Um, did you did you then, realize that when you were coaching though? No, I didn't. Okay. Not at all. Even after that whole like adrenal fatigue incident, I still went right back at it. Um, and my next project, kind of following that, uh, was starting a school. Um, so I started an athletic <laughs> middle school. Yeah, uh, which sounds funny to say. Um, and that school was a really fun project. We called it the Togethership. Um, which was, there's a whole story on how that word came into place, uh, but maybe that'll be a campfire story someday <laughs> uh, <laughs> when, I, when I get to meet you guys in the flesh. Um, that school was intended to be a project that kind of served athletes, and this was in the years like later 2019, and I was kind of going through my like breakdown process and getting some certifications and different things like some different holistic lifestyle courses and things of that nature and so i started to shift out of the performance or sports performance so to speak and more into like actually caring about the rest of the spokes on the wheel or the the rest of the slices of the pie and of course i was always going to be involved in the sports things at the school But I was having like these types of conversations with the kids and it was a middle school. So we're talking like that adolescent 13, 14, 15 ish age range mm -hmm. where I think is a highly moldable and like impactful time in anybody's life. Um, and so that was really a great project. I really enjoyed it. But what ended up happening was I was still never home. I, I started the school to have school hours and like go from 8 a.m. to like 2 yeah. or 2.30 and then be able to get home before my wife was done working. It just didn't really work out like that because I owned the school and I was very invested in it and like I was very invested in the kids. So um, that was a big uh, moment for me. Go ahead. So is this like a sports school or was this a school that did like maths and science and all the other things? Yeah. So it kind of started as a sports, like we recruited athletes, mm -hmm. but we also had 
the other like the like in America they call it like the core four, right? Mm-hmm. Like we had our teachers that were for you know English literature, um, math, uh, science, and history, mm-hmm. and so we did offer those, um, and then we also offered like I was teaching kind of in replacement of what the traditional like health was. I was teaching more of like how to think holistically, like holistic health was kind of that replacement. Um, and then we did, a, we played a lot of sports and ran around and did a lot of physical education stuff. Um, how old were you so, when you started the school? I was 29. That's, um, that's, I've never met anyone, I don't think that's started their own school before. So I'm just a little bit taken aback. <laughs> I wasn't expecting you to say that. And now I'm like, he just started a school, like, that's yeah, quite a big deal. Like, yeah. Do you see that as a big deal, or do you just see that as something just happened once in your life and like I don't know? Is it just me that's a little bit? No, <laughs> I. I no, I love. I, I really like appreciate that, I'm like, that's Rosie. Huge. That's like a huge thing to have done. Yeah. I almost did skip that yeah. chapter in my life too when I was answering your question. Um, no, it's definitely something that I I relish. I relish the memories, and I still talk with my my former partner there and have a relationship with him and there's a chance that I'll get back involved with that business mm-hmm. um, because I really loved it and I really put in the time to like recruit the families. I mean, they were paying a pretty good sized tuition. It was mm-hmm. it was a pretty good business, you know, model also mm-hmm. um, on top of, you know, it just being like a really good outcome for the kids where they weren't, you know, only thinking about sports. Yeah. And like a lot of it, even as I say that now, I think back to like how this came about in my life and how so much of it was rooted in like what my experience was and how almost selfishly like I wish my experience would have been different. Mm. So I created a different experience uh, for the next generations of kids. Um, so, yes, I I really appreciate you asking that, Rosie, because it. It is something that I truly like am grateful for. Like I I did start a school and it is cool to say and I am certainly proud to be able to say that and it's like very humbling to be able to say that and just like have it as a, a mark on my my timeline on on my road. Um but you know with all that being said, it still did kind of uh get to a point where I realized I I need to put myself first. Mm-hmm. Like I have to li- like I'm teaching all of these principles. I'm learning them. I'm getting these certifications. I'm learning them all and I'm embodying them to the best of my ability for myself. But I still was running around like a madman and serving so many people. Um, and I finally realized I am going to take a step back and I am going to actually practice putting myself first and in that area i was like a newborn child (laughs) i had never done that before so back to the you know the point that you made so eloquently earlier jeremy on like how what i was saying about sports is so relatable to anything this was like a time period in my life where it was like end of 2020 where i basically spent all of 2021 at home Mm. and that was incredibly challenging in a lot of ways but i also to really get to your question rosie of how do i coach people now so i spent 2021 and i coached 
the people that wanted to be coached by me. Mm -hmm. I did some small groups. I did some individuals. I did some like, you know, people that are our parents age level. Uh, and I did, I also was adamant about working with my family. And there was a bit of ignorance in that, like a bit of like blissful ignorance on my <laughs> side of like, I'm learning all these things that are really helping me. Um, I've, I'm like healthier than I've ever been in all ways. I really want you guys to learn and understand this too, because I didn't grow up eating like super healthy foods. My parents, again, same thing, like they were doing their best, but they didn't know, mm -hmm. you know, all the damaging ingredients that were in most of the foods that we ate growing up. Um, and so I was really like, I was really passionate about, you know, helping them. But, you know, it has to, it gets to be something where, like, you can only meet somebody where they're at. Yeah. Alvi says that all the yeah. time. And if they're willing and open to, you know, making the changes, then ultimately all I can do is provide information and provide support and guidance maybe. And if people are open and willing to receive that, then that is their choice. And that was something that I've kind of learned in the past, like, you know, even more recently, like the past year and a half and evolved into like my whole coaching style and coaching philosophy. And so to get to the current moment, long winded response to your question, Rosie, but my, I guess I have spent, you know, 13, 14, 15 years coaching people. Um, so it's really cool to be able to talk to this. And I appreciate the opportunity because now it's just highly intentional. Everybody that I work with, um, whether it be an individual or a small group, or I do have the high school contract because I, I missed the kids. I wanted to get back involved with a group of kids and coach them in a different way um, than just like running around on the field and getting sweaty and things like that. That's easy. Mm. Um, so, and then, you know, now that I launched my website and, you know, have those things going, I'm open to a few more slots. Uh, not to like self plug before that time of the podcast comes, <laughs> but like I have a few more slots. Um, I'm interviewing with a couple families where I think that would be something for me that I would really love to develop, not just like a short term relationship with a family, but a family that is really open and willing and, and committed to potentially doing a full year mm -hmm. or, you know, something a little bit longer term where I'm not just helping out you know, their son or daughter, I'm um, helping out the whole family. Cool. And that would be something that I would love uh, to inject myself in because I've done that in the past. But now the the actual value that I bring to the table is much more whole and, and vast. Yeah. So there's your response, Rosie. Thanks for the question. Loved it. <laughs> Loved the whole uh, question, answer, sorry. But what, um, something stood out to me is when you said that you wanted to take time for self-care and to look after yourself and you felt like a newborn like you had no idea what you were doing and it's so interesting because with somebody with so many qualifications and so much knowledge but then when you try and apply that to yourself it can seem impossible and I'm currently trying to go through the same thing where I'm like I need to look after myself so I need to learn about all these things but then I don't know it's, it's funny because I think people I guess on social media especially self-care can seem like such an easy thing it's like oh just journal and just do meditation and just do a bit of yoga but actually doing it is really really tough like to actually take care of yourself is really tough like how did you find that how did you get through that kind of hard phase of this is really hard work <laughs> 
Yeah, that's probably the most relatable thing that's been said on this entire dialogue because I think everybody and my like from my experience, I struggled hard. Yeah. Like I struggled, and that was so hard for me to accept the fact that you know, like for the most part, my career was built on the skills that I already had developed.、Mm. So I didn't really have to like be a newborn when it came to like going to another high school and being like, "Hey, coach, like, you know, I'm Matt. I coach at these schools already. Like, can we figure out how to collaborate?"、Mm-hmm. And most coaches would be at least open to a conversation. So all those things were so easy.、Um, honestly, Rosie, I I like learned how to, and I'm still learning.、Mm-hmm. Like, I'm not. I haven't arrived anywhere. Like I have begun to practice the skill of like being kind to myself.、Mm-hmm. Um, j- sure, like there's been some things such as journaling and you know meditating on my own, not leading others in meditation, but actually doing it on my own.、Um, there's a lot of those like little things that I've trialed and aired. And I think that that's probably one of the most important things for people to understand is that there's not like any quick fixes in life ever for anything that's substantial or worth having. It doesn't just happen. Like you don't fix your mind and be able to like like you said like post. Hey, I did yoga today and now I do yoga every day. Like no, like it takes time because we don't have. These patterns or these habits built in, so it takes the time to figure out. Wait, I did that for a few days, and I feel better after doing it. Whether it be like setting a glass of water next to your bed, so that in the morning when you wake up, the first thing that you take in is some water. Like that was something that was a foreign idea to me, but then I started doing it, and then the time that I forgot, I'm like. Well, shit! I'm not trying to get out of bed to go get this water, so I like made sure that I do it every night now, and that became a skill that became a part of my lifestyle. And that's just like one very small example, but every everything starts small like、mm. that. There's no such thing as like all of a sudden you rework your entire life schedule and then it just happens. It's like. Start with one, and this is like getting into kind of my coaching philosophy. It's like, let's figure this out together. It's I think it's really important to have the support around you so that you can have the conversations with、mm-hmm. people that are open and and willing to listen. Like for me, Alvi was one of those people. My wife was one of those people where you know, like I would give myself my word and say, "Hey, I'm going to implement." These two things into my life this upcoming week, and then the following week we'd have a conversation, and not to like put too much pressure on it, but it's just like, yo, Matt, how'd you do on those two things? Did you become your word or did you not? And if I didn't, then I think there's a whole skill of like understanding why and being kind to yourself if it didn't happen because it's okay. Like it, it maybe maybe what you suggested for yourself. Just wasn't wasn't gonna be a thing, and that that happened a lot too. So that's an entirely separate skill in itself in being able to recognize like, oh, I said I'm gonna do a tai chi gong, and I didn't do it. I got to like day three, 
six different times, like maybe I'm just not yeah. there yet. And that's like a pretty drastic example because doing a hundred days straight of Tai Chi is like very difficult. But um, I, I think um, it, it just takes time and patience, which were not skills that I had ever practiced. Mm. And I'm still working on them. Like I'm, you know, now kind of working on like uh, the money side of life and i even had like a, a physical like a visceral reaction to when i before i even mm. said the word yeah. money like that's kind of like the the last piece of my pie where i for so long in my life and this goes back to childhood also but we can save this for like episode <laughs> two maybe that's just my fears talking but um you know it, it's like that's the last piece of the pie that i get to like fill okay. up and not that the other pieces aren't going to be tended to because they're tended to every mm. day. Um, but the skills that I get to build around how I look at, how I deal with, how I manage, you know, the financial piece of my life. Um, I'm starting from, from scratch. So always a beginner. <laughs> yeah. I'll let you at some point. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. There's something that I I'm getting from this conversation that I, I, I had it a few times with a few people and, and it's a feeling that I always find very fascinating is if we looked at your 20s from an outsider, uh, it would have looked like like your 20s, you were making it. Like it was such a successful decade, like really good athlete, coaching at the very high level, working with amazing, talented people. I'm assuming making a good amount of money from it, doing something that you loved, uh, you know, from an outsider, I think your twenties were probably like very, very, very successful, right? If, if we looked at it from very, like just Instagram way or an acquaintance way, when maybe if we look at what you're doing now, you would be working with just normal people with family, you know, you're not, you might not be working with the NFL trendy dude and stuff like that. You, you would look like a step back from the outside, right? Uh, it's less flashy, <laughs> but actually f within, well, first that means like, you know, maybe we need to stop judging what we see without actually knowing what's going on because there is always multiple layers and level on what we see. And also maybe also we need to focus a bit less on the sparkles and how it looks and, and more on how you feel. Cause I'm sure that you are much more happier now just coaching a bunch of kids and a bunch of families than you were maybe coaching NFL players or whatever. Yeah, I love that. And that's a beautiful way to summarize um, really this conversation. Um, I like I almost feel like I feel like an emotional response after listening to you say that because it's like I was operating at about maybe like 50 to 60% of like who mm. I actually am. And there now that I'm at like where I'm at and am able to consciously recognize who I am, I get to look back on those times and understand what parts of them was purely me. 
in terms of like when I was coaching groups and having that impact and giving my spirit and energy in those ways, that was purely mm -hmm. me. Like being in service is something that I love to do. And that's a large part of my life. Thinking like when I use the 50 to 60% of me, it's like, how can you actually ever serve somebody fully if you're not serving yourself first? Like I was constantly running on an empty cup, no battery, but yet I would find some type of energy, some type of spirit to give to every group for all of those years. And so being able to understand that it took time for me to recognize that because for a while I had built up almost this resentment towards everything that I did in my 20s because I was like, wow, life feels so good now in my 30s. I don't have to care about all these people and I can just take care of myself and eat good food and drink water and sleep eight hours a night and all these things. But in all reality, like I loved all my experiences. I loved, you know, helping and serving all of those people and that's okay. But now I get to appreciate, like to your point, Jeremy, I get to appreciate so much more. And that's why I used the word intentional earlier to answer your question, Rosie, because everybody that I work with now, like there's people that hit me up and I used to never be able to say no. I'd be like, yeah, pull up to the six o'clock session or, you know, like whenever it works for you, pull up, I'll be there. I'll be at the gym, find me like, you know, and you can jump into whatever session you want. But now I value myself to be able to say no to people and different opportunities and that was a skill that I had to learn how to acquire. But in learning how to say no, it empowers the yeses so incredibly much more because it's a mutual yes. It's not just like, a, oh, I'm saying yes because this is like uh, what I do. No, it's I'm saying yes because who I am and who you are have enough in common that we are willing to now engage in an exchange that will be an exchange of abundance rather than like I was always coming at it from like a scarcity type of place. Um, so yes, like I really appreciate you rounding it up and, and saying it the way that you did. Um, because yes, like from the outside looking in, it's like, dude, Matt's twenties were dope. Like, Oh my God, he was all over the place. All these high schools worked with Kobe's group, Michael Jordan's group, you know, like started a school, but in our reality, um, and I wouldn't change it. I wouldn't change my past because, you know, it really empowers how much, you know, I can appreciate how I approach life now and how intentional I am with my friends and my time spent now. Um, so, yeah, bro, thank you for that question. Do you have any plans for the future? Anything you still want to tick off? Anything you still want to do? Anything you see yourself doing in the future? Yes, yeah, so being an athlete again is amazing. Um, and we can talk more specifically into that. But I do plan on pursuing uh, this opportunity to be on Team USA. Um, I plan on seeing through 
the potential opportunity to be mm. an Olympian, which my sport has never been in the Olympics. Handball has been in the Olympics indoor, but beach, um, we're looking to get in. And I have a world championships uh, coming up in Greece here mm. in June, um, which is really exciting. Uh, June 16th, so it's, it's uh, I'll be leaving. Handball. Yeah, okay. beach handball. Let's, let's get into it. Um, I was going to talk about it in a little bit, but let's dive into it right now because uh, handball is not a big sport in the US. It's quite popular in Europe, in France, in Germany, in Spain, uh, Croatia, like Eastern Europe, stuff like that. But I mean, even in, in the UK, in England, they don't we know don't anything it. about it. <laughs> uh, but I feel like in the US, it's pretty foreign, right? Uh, how did you end up discovering this sport? Yeah, yeah. And, and South America is popular too. Um, Brazil mm. is like the reigning world champ, um, three times running. Um, well, Jeremy, I, let me circle back because I, I want to answer Rosie's question too. <laughs> um, but yeah, I'll, I'll get to that. And I think that's a, a cool way to kind of wrap this up, even though we could talk all day. Um, but yeah, to, to get back to like what I still want to do, like the athlete side and that part of my life, definitely drives a lot of what I want to do because there's so many relationships that I've already made that are international now and that expands, you know, what I'm doing on the business side of my life, um, which is obviously, yes, my coaching, my personal coaching business will always be a thing. I will always, you know, serve people. Mm -hmm. And now it's, it's just being highly selective with that. But on top of that, I also own a company with Alvi, and we have two other business partners. Ale is a partner, mm -hmm. and then uh, Dr. Cody Crockett, who lives up in Alaska. So we have Miami, Florida, California, and Alaska covered, and we bank in Austin, Texas. I don't know why, but we do. Mm -hmm. um, this is funny to say. And so that company, our mission is optimizing the health and well-being of the world one workplace at a time. Mm. And so what we're doing is selling high impact, minimal disruption, well-being solutions um, in a variety of different ways. And that's been a really fun project. We've been working on putting this business together for about six months now. Mm -hmm. And we, um, we're all really passionate about it. And that's what's really cool about having that. The company is called Opti Wellbeing Solutions. Mm -hmm. And we are really just getting rolling in terms mm -hmm. of we have the plans set, you know, we have the funds, we have, you know, kind of our, our product suite and our service offerings. Everything is lined up. You know, we've got like the finishing, the icing on the cake on some of the collateral that we're like literally putting together this week. And now we get to really utilize all of our networks. You know, for me, like I spent my 20s not just coaching people, but also meeting people. And, you know, it's like little Johnny, who was a middle schooler that was training in X group, paying X amount. Little Johnny wasn't paying the dollars. His parents were. Mm -hmm. And it's not like you just call up a parent and be like, hey, uh, Johnny's going to train with me. Here's what it costs. Like there's a rapport that got to yeah. be built, you know, back in those days. So I have a lot of 
you know, long-term relationships with families from up and down, you know, the California kind of coastline. And so I intend to now serve everybody in my own network and then branching kind of outwards from there. Um, well-being solutions. That's the, that's the name of my mission. Um, so that is kind of the bigger thing. And then in my fifties, I'm going to be a traveling DJ because that just sounds so fun. Um, <laughs> that's <laughs> random. That <laughs> yeah, I just, I've been saying that now for a little while. Um, you know, and I'll probably like do some painting on the side, uh, in my fifties for the rest of time. You know, I, I'm trying to think ahead. I want to buy some properties around the world and just like have friends and tell campfire stories. And, you know, my wife and I are really hoping to be able to procreate. Uh, but that's obviously that's magic. Mm. It's like it's magic. And um, it's not as easy as uh, one might think. Mm. So, yeah. you know, we've been going through that. Uh, part of life together and traversing that road and its ups and downs um, that come along with it, which I think are just essentially all microcosms of the macrocosm of life. Yeah. Like shit's going to happen. You get to learn how to communicate and, and deal with it and, you know, kind of stay true to your values and who you are and what your mission is. So, uh, yeah, Rosie, I think that kind of sums up my answer to your question. I didn't talk about my 70s or 80s ambitions <laughs> yet, but uh, they, they might be inappropriate for this episode. <laughs> I'm, I'm looking forward to interview Matt, the traveling DJ, in 20, 25 years, yeah. 20 years. Perfect. <laughs> That'll be Perfect. Fun. I'll invite you guys to my sets for sure. What? Well, I got really inspired. Go ahead. I was going to say, what kind of music would you be playing? <laughs> So, yeah, I was answering that question. Um, I've gotten really inspired by being, and this will get into your question too, Jeremy, um, by being on this beach handball tour and circuit. Like last year, I went to Spain, Portugal, and Italy and competed. This year, I've been to Mexico three times already. Um, wow. And usually what the vibrations are in a beach handball world is like electronic house, like EDM type type music. And depending on the country you're in, it has like, yeah. you know, in Spain, it has a bit of a Spanish flavor, you know, like it just kind of varies. Um, but I've gotten into that, like dancing, house. But I also, like I grew up uh, being rebellious and like listening to mostly, oddly enough, like hip hop while all my, all my like Caucasian friends were listening to like <laughs> country, country music and things and like old rock and roll. So I, I'm like hip to almost all genres so i think um my kaleidoscope of of a being uh gets to express himself um in uh in a fun way so i look forward to those years i'll be getting myself some equipment probably later in my 30s i've got seven years to prepare for this i i also have djing on my bucket list in my life personally so maybe in 20 years we can do a collab and it'd be the same dude definitely because yeah. i do have that definitely bucket list. like oh so. dude we're gonna go perform at like at big things together bro like let's do this i, I love that like, yeah that's all right, cool. So I'll get into the handball yeah, uh, question it. now. So 
it was 2019. I was kind of, you know, in this whole transition period that I was speaking to earlier of like realizing and I was, you know, implementing new skills and things into my life. Um, and one of my friends, Nate Ebner, who I mentioned earlier on the podcast, who not only played in the NFL, but also was an Olympian on the USA rugby team and played in the 2016 Rio Olympics. Um, he knew a teammate currently that I have named Ebie, who plays not only for Team USA handball, but also plays for USA Touch Rugby. Mm -hmm. So they knew each other through the rugby world, and that was the connection there. And I was put in touch with Ebie, contacted him, and he invited me to come out to a practice out in Hermosa Beach. And so I went out to practice. I remember, I'll never forget this. It's like, I come from these traditional sport backgrounds. I had never even heard of this sport. <laughs> like maybe I had seen Olympic handball, you know, indoor, but I never knew that beach handball was a thing. Mm -hmm. So I go out to practice and I see these dudes like doing 360s in the sand and catching alley-oops. And I'm like, this looks like weird. <laughs> like I'm going to leave. Like I, And it was like a bit of like fear, a bit of like ego, mm -hmm. you know, ego in a sense of like, I don't need to do this. Yeah. Like my life's good already. I own a school, you know, <laughs> like whatever. Um, but I ended up getting over that. I ended up finding the courage to walk out on that sand. And from the first throw that I took, um, the goalie, uh, one of our goalies, Brian looked at me and was like, dude, you're with us. <laughs> and he used maybe some, some explicitives also, and that was kind of the resonating energy uh, that happened like right after I threw the ball because, as I mentioned earlier, I kind of have a rubber arm. I was going to say, it does yeah. make sense. Uh, it does make sense. If you've been playing yeah. like basketball for years, you, you, can, you can jump. Uh, if you have the mm -hmm. arm, you can th throw the ball. It makes sense. <laughs> yeah, so naturally the skills, the skills made sense. And... It was uh, the, the theme of our conversation is like start as a baby and learn how to evolve yourself. Right. So that's like, yeah, the skills could get me basically a spot in the national team player pool. Mm -hmm. But then, you know, the pandemic happens mm -hmm. and for the whole, you know, 2020. So I went to one competition. My first ever comp was in February 2020. <laughs> and then the pandemic happens. So we had no competitions for the rest of 2020 mm. and so it would have been easy and some guys that were in the program kind of fell off and so for me i'm like well this is an opportunity for me to like learn how to actually be decent at this game mm. because like just because i could jump and throw the ball really hard didn't mean that i was gonna be elite and what i said at the beginning to myself was I don't really care about winning gold medals. Like, look, I'll show you. I have a gold medal. And this is really cool, like, to be able to show you guys. That is cool. But it's not, like, that moment uh, is really cool to talk about. But I told myself at the beginning, I care to have the respect from the players of this sport or the people of this sport 
to be able to have a seat at the table. Meaning, like if there's a beach handball game played anywhere in the world, I'm respected and loved enough to be able to know that I can hop into that game and play with those guys. Mm. I don't care about any individual. I didn't care then. I didn't care about getting any individual accolades. It wasn't about like, I have to win a gold medal or multiple gold medals or like I got this Mayhor Defensor trophy, which is the best defender at a tournament that happened this year. Um, which is like really cool and I'm really proud of that and it's really humbling to receive an individual award. Mm. But my intentions were set to honor the sport in its entirety and leave it, you know, with the love and respect from the people who built the sport and hopefully be considered, you know, a pioneer myself. And so fast forward to like, you know, 2020 and 2021 we're about learning and adding skills and, you know, earning the respect of my coach and my teammates and, you know, really like embodying what it meant to like have the values that we already had established as a program, mm-hmm. but also inject like myself and my values mm-hmm. into the program and that's been a really cool process and i it's like so humbling for me to feel already so valued as a member of this program um you know like that gold medal i showed you i was down there playing in mexico in april and a couple of the photos jeremy that you put on the website are from that tournament and I'll share this anecdote with you guys. I think you'll appreciate it. So because we won the gold medal, that qualified us for the world championships in Greece, Mm -hmm. which is really cool. Uh, I was not attached necessarily to like what the results were going to be. I was enjoying the moment, being present. um, And that's, you know, oftentimes what we meditate on pregame, what we talk about staying emotionally regulated and neutral, like using our emotions to our advantage. So we win gold and prior to winning gold, we ended up having to face Mexico in the semifinals in which tournaments in Mexico and we were both kind of already known. It was like known that we were supposed to meet in the finals, Mm -hmm. but Mexico ended up getting upset by Trinidad and Tobago. And so we had to face them in the semifinals with a trip to Greece on the line. Mm -hmm. Loser was not going to Greece because the top two teams qualified. So it was a late evening game. Everybody was there. The beach was bumping house spanish house music playing or you know a little with a little bit more of like a mexican vibration to it and mexico they are fierce competitors but we really love them like we're friends Mm -hmm. with them but they're fierce and we honored the sport by you know returning the favor we we competed ferociously Mm. after the game like we we won in a thriller of a game after the game the father of one of their 
better players came up to me and gave me a hug, asked for a photo, and then made sure that we had, like, I can speak a little bit of Spanish and understand, but I can't go the whole yeah. fluent mode. So he made sure that he had a translator with him to help out, and he expressed his love and respect for me, not just as a player, but how I carry myself around the hotel and around the tournament and how I interact with people off the sand. And I was like, so fucking emotional in that moment. Like mm -hmm. it was, it was literally, I, I share the story because I just filled out a packet for the world championships that asked a question, what's your favorite all time sports moment? Mm -hmm. And what I, what I, I can think of all these championships and all these games that I've won and trophies and things like that. But that moment where the father of one of the better players on Mexico, who we just beat mm -hmm. on their home soil to eliminate them from a chance of going to Greece, which like, of course, everybody desires to go to Greece, came up to me and expressed that. That was... The best moment I've ever had in sport and it was the most full circle like epitome of what we're even talking about in this entire conversation moment of my life and so I wrote that into the questionnaire and I shared that with the player's name is Syed I sent him a sentiment and uh, we had a, a nice like loving exchange and um, yeah I don't know yeah, I'm waiting on the photo. Uh, the photo of me and uh, his dad is on his dad's phone. Uh, so he should be sending that. Um, but yeah, I'll send it to you guys just so you have it. Uh, so you can understand. Um, but yeah, man. Uh, thank you guys for listening to that. Because I, not, I don't know, man. Like I don't just run around talking about those things. You know, it's <laughs> no, like I mean, it's... that's something that like lives lives here it's a very humbling experience and 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 full of respect like mutual respect between the between you two and between the man and the athlete and uh yeah it's a beautiful proof of of love in a way yeah absolutely yeah. man and and that kind of goes into like summing up you know how i got into it what's come from it already and it's those like i'm I get an opportunity now to go play in the world championships for this silly little beach handball sport, right? Like I'm just diving around in the sand like a like a little kid, literally. And you know that that's all I really care about is leaving with new relationships that are rooted in love and respect. Like of course, when we step between those lines, we're going to compete. Yeah. We're going to channel that energy and compete. But in between those moments, like, it's all love. It's just all love. Like, so. I know you're an athlete, but it's cool as well that you started three years ago and you're now, like, you know, playing the world championships and maybe doing the Olympics and all these huge things. Like, I know you kind of have the athletic background anyway, but it's cool that in such a short space of time, especially with a pandemic <laughs> where you couldn't, like, compete all the time, it's cool that you got to, like, you know, the top level of that sport as well. Yeah, thank you so much for, for saying that and recognizing that. And it literally is just like what we were talking about earlier, where 
I was a newborn baby in this sport, and I really credit my teammate EBA and some of my other teammates as well uh, because my coach is a doctor, and so he's very busy. Like We don't really practice mm -hmm. during the weeks, um, but we ended up getting together uh, during the weeks and had you know time spans where it would just be me and EBA or me and a couple other teammates, and he broke down the skills of the game to the mm. very beginning. And he's a person who taught himself how to be ambidextrous, which is nuts. He can throw with both arms and wow. wasn't like he wasn't doing that since he was a kid. Um, mm. And so I'm not ambidextrous yet. But uh, regardless, it's been a really humbling process to, you know, not really know if I was going to ever be good enough to like compete at the higher levels um, and then to be able to to put all that time and effort and, and work developing the skills into practice in the arena it's mm -hmm. like that is like a next level type of emotional feeling um and then to like to i always use like the tree metaphor it's like we we nurtured the seed planted it allowed the roots to take root and then you know really like nurtured the surroundings of it watch the branches kind of grow and the fruit that was yielded in this last harvest just so happened to be gold. Like, cool, you know, like, mm. that's pretty cool. <laughs> uh, but there's another harvest right around the corner. And I'm not attached to like, hey, maybe we didn't, maybe we didn't like nurture the tree in the same type of a way. And so maybe the fruit isn't gold. And that's okay. Like, we'll just learn from it and, and keep going with life. That's, that's the beauty of it. One of the amazing lessons I'm getting from now also is uh, you're becoming a professional athlete in a sport competing for one championship in your 30s. You know, like mo most most people in most sports would expect that if you don't make it when you are in your early 20s, it's too late, right? That's, that's the general rule in most sports, actually. It's, it's also the thing. Uh, but you had this dream when you were like a, a young adult about being a professional athlete at some point and everything. Things didn't turn up the way maybe you expected. You went the you went another way, and then life, the universe, call it whatever you want, brought something into your path, and you found a new sport that you happen to be good at, and also your skills and your determination, motivation, hardworking stuff, right? made you become who you are now and, and you know it's cool like you it's also a nice lesson that it's never too late you can do it it might not happen when you want to it might be 10 years later uh but you never know what's gonna happen yeah i think that's the golden nugget that hopefully all of our listeners can take away from this conversation you know and and just understanding that we all get to start somewhere yeah. like if we're looking to to make changes and grow in our life you know like let's just think of it as starting small like whether it be starting a new sport and you have a desire to be a pro athlete start small start with the basic skills whether it be you know just simply becoming a healthier human being start small like start with a glass of water in the morning and mm. be kind to yourself and honor yourself if you if you do that and you and it makes you feel better then you know like make sure you acknowledge that 
you're working in the direction of becoming, you know, you and becoming your best self. Um, so yeah, what a beautiful way to kind of like sum it all up. And yeah. I've really enjoyed this conversation. I really appreciate you guys for having me on and asking these wonderful questions. There's <laughs> so much more. Like I, I'm. I, maybe now's not the time, but I would love to invite you guys onto my podcast also, now that yeah. I have my podcast. Now that it's ready, um, yeah. We'll make it happen. I actually have a, a, a last question before we wrap it up. Um, something that I was thinking about is, you know, you had to experience breakdowns to realize that you had to take care of yourself and to change your view on what being an athlete means. To To really incorporate this holistic side of things in your life you had to kind of crash uh do you think and and this is a pattern i've seen that many many times like people tend to crash before they rise again stuff like that do you think is necessary for people as a coach was there to like to crash before you can actually like take in all those benefits and and because it is a pattern like it's something that i've seen many times um, yeah, I, I think, I don't think it's necessary, but I do, and I've seen that pattern many times too. I do think that it is probably one of the more effective ways, which nobody really like sees it coming <laughs> yeah. or, or wants it to happen. Um, I found in my experience that, you know, most people aren't necessarily able to recognize um, that they may be on uh, a poor or unhealthy trajectory. Um, and that's what drives me like in my passion to, you know, have those types of conversations to figure that out. But I do, I don't think it's necessary, but I think it's kind of inevitable for, mm. for people um, to truly break through, I think, the breakdown like and the words that I use are like a lot of people's habits and, and skills are around kind of escaping like people build skills around escaping whether it be like things that they were taught as a child or you know like what they think they're supposed to be and eventually I think people escape far enough that they then find the connection to themselves where it's like that wake up call, that crash. And it's like, Oh damn, like actually all I have to do, all I get to do is figure out how to stay connected to me and myself. Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, I, I do think that that's a great sentiment to leave, leave everybody with. Um, and if, if anybody out there is listening to this and, uh, you know, feels like maybe you're on the verge of a breakdown, you know who to call. <laughs> yeah. We'll leave all your information in the description and the show notes so people can find you and get in touch with you and, and, and reach out and see everything that you're doing. So yeah, we'll make it easy for everyone. We do have one last question mm. yeah. that we'd like to ask everybody. If you could have a conversation with somebody dead or alive, famous or not famous, because it could literally be anybody who you think would be super interesting, who would you choose and what would you want to talk about? Mm. <laughs> man, 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 man. 
maybe I would choose I'm like looking at my library. Um, <laughs> Don't overthink would, it. The first thing that came to your, the first person you saw in your head. First person that came was Lao Tzu. And I would just want to talk about the Tao. Like, I would just want to ask questions on how, like, basically every page of the Tao or Tao, Dejing, for those of you who aren't familiar, um, has sent me into like days worth of meditating over. Mm -hmm. um, so that's what I would want to talk to to that guy about. Just like, hey, can we just go like page to page? And <laughs> can I just hear this in like like normal people's terms? Yeah. <laughs> that would be a long conversation though. <laughs> yes, it would. I don't know if I'd ever return from that conversation, yeah. but I think I would be okay with that. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think we've had that answer before. No. It's so fascinating when we ask people this because it's always somebody different. So yeah. thank you for sharing. And very unexpected, you know. I would have expected, like, I don't know, maybe like a famous athlete, you know, or whatever. So it's always interesting to see what we don't see. Mm. <laughs> I read a lot of esoteric, like, spirituality mm. type books. Like, that's kind of my book style. So I'm, uh, I'm a weirdo in that sense, but <laughs> it helps me. <laughs> <laughs> Matt, thank you so, so much uh, for sharing your story with us and with everyone listening and watching. It's been awesome to get to know you more uh, and, and also to learn from you. Uh, there's many, many lessons in this conversation, I think, that can benefit every everyone through your story, you know. So, yeah, thank you for sharing it with us. Yeah, thank you so much. I've really, really enjoyed it. It has been wonderful. Honestly, it was beautiful, and I, I really, really appreciate the opportunity to get to know you guys a little bit um, and, you know, share my story. I think it's, like, very therapeutic to be able to dive back into these things, and, yeah, hopefully, I'm glad to hear that you guys, you know, have some things that maybe you can take from it, and hopefully anybody that's listening can take any of the little nuggets that were shared and make them applicable to their life you know um that would be a beautiful thing so yeah. i look forward to having you guys on the scent of a hummingbird and yeah. um i also look forward to like meeting you guys in person and giving you a hug for sure and happen. you know telling some some real like real campfire stories yeah. this was like <laughs> this was deep but this is like the tip of the iceberg still <laughs> i would love that thank you so much matthew and thank you to everybody watching and listening make sure you subscribe to our youtube channel you can leave us a comment make sure you go and contact matt if you want to work with him you can follow him on his socials we'll leave everything linked in the description box or the show notes and we'll be back next wednesday with a brand new episode and thank you so much thank you